quick note before we begin, we did put an explicit tag on this episode because it contains misogynistic language and descriptions of violence. We also curse a few times because if you're going to put the explicit tag on, you might as well go the whole way. I put you in my pocket, push the button through the hole to lock it, hold on to you, you like a treasure, walk across my hand, it'd be a pleasure, you could come with me, you could come with me. Okay, hi. Hi. So welcome to Delisters of History, the podcast about interesting people you probably didn't learn about in school. Someday I'm going to standardize that, and it's yeah. going to be fantastic. Uh, my name is Fega, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I was so excited to introduce myself. I, <laughs> I really need to tone it down. <laughs> it, we, we like we like excitement yeah. and eagerness, especially because we have now put these foam things in our faces to yeah. see each other. I know. So. It's like a centerpiece. They really do look like a, like corporate art. <laughs> like corporate art? Yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm Fega. I'm, I'm a history person. I'm Issa. I'm an art person, with, but I'm interested in history as well. Well, the, you know, the arts and history go together a lot more than people allow i would say a lot more than uh, people don't allow it enough yeah yeah i mean music history uh so i have a music degree as well was a class that well i enjoyed it depending on who the professor was but yeah um in theory i enjoyed it yeah so uh Oh my I'm gosh. not playing. I'm talking about bad lip that. reading what? versions of it, where yes. they're just like. But I've also seen the actual lip reading versions of them, which is really fun. Like they have people that like are just lip reading what they say, and it's about just as ridiculous as the bad lip reading version. It's like, buddy, you gotta you gotta cut out this crap. You know, we're gonna come for you, Matt Gates. And he's like, and then, yeah, McCarthy is like, cut, a, cut the crap. It's time for me to be a speaker. It's it's pretty funny. It's pretty good. Yeah, um, the whole, like, people on the floor having phones and taking videos and putting them on TikTok is such a gift. It is. It's amazing. At one point, it was only C-SPAN. Yeah. And it's still, in theory, is only C-SPAN, but we just got such a gift um, with that. Now, I, I bring this up not because I like talking about Matt Gates, <laughs> but because it actually has something to do with the person we're talking about today. Oh my god! So, uh, okay, this new setup. I have a problem. I can't read my computer. This oh is, no! Oh no! Oh no! We're gonna do this. No, so we're I want to warn uh, Charles Sumner. <laughs> Charles Sumner. Charles and Sumner. Some people might be listening, going, "Charles Sumner is not a D-lister." But here's the thing: most people don't know his name. So if you're a person who knows their name, very good job on passing your U.S. History AP exam. <gasps> I don't remember his I did not remember this guy. I yeah. did pass the exam, but I do not remember this man. I actually didn't take the USAP <gasps> exam. Out of the podcast. <laughs> out, of, out of the podcast. <laughs> what? How could you say that you are going to have a podcast and you didn't even take the USAP? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Can I tell you, uh, USAP history was one of my favorite classes, but not 
it was not it was so I liked it because my my teacher just like told us the facts we needed to know that was it and we just sat there and took notes and she just told us she was so calm and she was just like this is the facts you need to know and I would just sit there and write there and for some reason it was very calming and very lovely and I learned a lot and she had the same photocopy she photocopied every year and it was like 20 years so it was just like a massive black smudge by the time it got to us and the last thing I'll say about that is that I know (laughs) I knew after her that we were in a very right-wing era because she talked about we were in Catholic school, so she, so everyone would call us ladies all the time. So she would say, she would say, after Reagan, it's a turn to the right, ladies. We turn to the right. <laughs> America starts turning to the right, and that's that's where we are now. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how those things that teachers say just like stick in your brain. Yeah, like there's certain like I will never forget. The dative, uh, I forget what the thing's called, the, the dative tense. Like, there was this, like, little song, whatever, so I'm not going to sing. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I have to admit, I wrote these notes a while ago, so mm-hmm. I apologize if we do any of those, like, oh, I forgot to mention something mm-hmm. important. Circle back. Mm-hmm. Charles Sumner, interesting dude. He's very famous, for one thing, which I'm going to get to in a little bit. Uh, and the rest of it, he doesn't know that he, we don't, talk about that much unless you're really really into pre-civil war history so he was born in boston on january 6th 1811 to a harvard educated lawyer whose name was charles pickney sumner and a former seamstress mother and he was a twin which i didn't know until i did that research (laughs) Uh, his sister was named matilda oh his father was an abolitionist and was a proponent of racially integrated schools and spoke out about, uh, I'm going to go for this, mm-hmm. this word, uh, Miss Kennedy, Jace, that's wrong. Miss Kennedy, Jason, that's wrong too. Misogyny, is that the, was it like, like <laughs> interracial marriage? Yeah, interracial marriage. Gosh, you know, I actually don't know how to say that word either. I pulled I it up see on it. Google before this and clicked the button and listened to it like five times and it's, it, gone should we um, do it should we do it now should we have google say it for us and try let's see it uh come on google miscegenation. Mis- wait miscegenation miss google say it one more time miscegenation miscegenation yeah okay so that's our sat word all right not that they need sat words anymore <laughs> that'd be so, a wild interracial marriage so he was yeah. in favor of abolition and international marriage and integrated schools and all that stuff that was his dad fab and this is the thing that a lot of times at least in the north in schools we forget to talk about is that while the the south gets a lot of rightfully right you know rightful criticism for its history of racism Mm -hmm. it's not alone Mm -mm. and in some ways the North has a lot of really similar issues that we haven't had to reckon with. Yeah. And we're starting to reckon it with it now. When I say we, I mean, obviously, white people, because obviously (laughs) there's people who've been aware of this, like, for example, Charles Sumner's dad, um, forever. (laughs) Yes. So the thing is, is that while the Northerners get this reputation for, you know, not having slavery and things like that, the reality was they didn't care about 
people, they cared about the political power that the South had. Mm-hmm. So because enslaved people were counted as three-fifths of a person for the purpose of representation, but couldn't vote, that meant that landowners had each of their, landowners in the South, each of their votes counted more than mm-hmm. one per so one rich person in the south counts more than one rich person oh. in the north and that was what people were really upset about which we now know is wrong but <laughs> we just <laughs> that's that's what people thought yeah correct fight wrong reasons yeah yeah so that's where the sumner family is really unique because they weren't just concerned with that they were concerned with the humanity of enslaved people and what sorry so what year was he born he was born in 1811 wow long time ago yeah and when (laughs) i was reading this i'm like nobody can say oh it's just you know the time they grew up in and it's like charles sumner's dad yeah was uh on the right side of history here yeah and wait so 1811 at this point okay at a certain Okay, so this is my history, my slavery history, my northern slavery history, very foggy. I forget when slavery was abolished in different northern states, because I know we were doing it, you know? Like, I I feel like I've just had a pop quiz. Oh gosh, jumped on me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> one of, I think, so the what first, if, okay, yeah. the, the first was Pennsylvania. Cool. In 1780. Philly, because that's such a long time, that like people's like, oh, it's a long time ago. We never think about Philadelphia as being a place where like, yeah, slavery was here too. Just because oh. they abolished it earlier doesn't mean it didn't happen. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> have know? a fantastic book. It's name I don't have off the top of my head. It's something called, it's called something very like innocuous, like slavery in Philadelphia or something like uh-huh. that. But it follows a family that, enslaved people in Philadelphia they lived in Germantown and there was I learned all about from that from that book about how when abolition came to Pennsylvania basically every all the enslavers just moved their people Uh to other states because they had like plantations in like New Jersey and things like that Mm. so north uh wildly racist yeah and it just looked a little different up Mm -hmm. north Mm -hmm. Charles took on his father's politics. He, the, they were calling for things like full equality for black people and the right to interracial marriage, which at the time was wildly radical. Mm -hmm. So Charles, he goes to Harvard, gets a law degree, becomes an enthusiast in jurisprudence. That's one of my favorite words to say. Jurisprudence. Jurisprudence. So he was really excited about how the law works. So big nerd. Jurisprudence is like the law, the law equivalent of um, math. <laughs> math. And I was gonna say, oh my gosh, what's the word? Dramaturgy. Yeah, it's like the theoretical yeah. stuff. Yeah. So early in his career, he visited Washington D.C. and said, "I am absolutely not going to become a politician. This is the worst." Famous last words. <laughs> He does this a thing if you were a wealthy white guy in America at this time was to do your your trip to Europe. Oh, the grand tour. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. So he does that. And while he's there, he attends several lectures at the University of Paris where he saw black and white students learning together. And I have a quote of his from this time. 
They were standing in the midst of a knot of young men and their color seemed to be no objection to them. I was glad to see this, though with American impressions, it seemed very strange. It must be then that the distance between free black and whites among us is derived from education and does not exist in the nature of things. Mm. So this is one of those things that now we're like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. But it was it was an important thing for him to be saying explicitly. Yeah. At that time. For sure. So he goes back to the U.S., becomes a talented orator, because apparently at that time you could have a job being an orator. Uh, Hey, isn't that what we're doing? Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Orators are way more formal. Okay. (laughs) He used his skills and popularity to speak out against the Mexican-American War, which was from 1846 to 1848. For those not familiar, the Mexican-American War was a shameless colonist land grab by the United States yeah, to uh, get in the end. The United Texas. States is so new. I, like, people talk about the United States being new. It's like, oh, it's only 200 years old. No. This part, the, where we live in right. the East is only 200 years old. The rest of it is, is like, just freshly stolen. Well, when I say 200 <laughs> years old, that's, you know, the European story, right? Like, sure. It's so freshly stolen. Like, it's yes. it's hot off the presses. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so the other thing he did that was really cool is he represented the plaintiffs in Roberts v. Boston to the state Supreme Court, mm. which called into question the constitutionality of school segregation. He argued that black schools were inferior, and even if they weren't, segregation causes harmful psychological and sociological impacts. He lost, obviously, because we know how history went. Uh, But these are the exact same arguments that would be used over a century later in Brown v. Board of Education. He did that, by the way, in 1850. Did they use his case, do you know? I I don't know for sure. I would imagine because that's usually how, as I understand, the law works as you look at previous cases. It also doesn't take... I don't think you need to be that brilliant to come up with that argument. <laughs> it's, it's pretty straightforward. That's true. It's like these schools are bad. Yeah. Let's not do this. Um, so he became uh, an active. Ab- so he believed in abolition and was anti-segregation, but he wasn't like doing anything about it mm. until the annexation of Texas in 1845. Mm. And he became an active abolitionist, anti-segregationist at that point. So colonization of the Western United States, politically fraught, because not of the things that we would think of. It's just like, you know, the humanity of people. Mm. It was a concern because of power in Congress. Mm. And that idea of the, of the Southern power, which they called slave power, and that moving West. The mm-hmm. North was very concerned that they were going to lose the power that they had. And the South was worried, too. Mm-hmm. So this is where I have very vivid memories of this in school, learning all these various compromises, like the Missouri Compromise of these states coming. Oh, I'm hitting things. (laughs) I'm Jewish. I can't help it. I I move my arm. You gesticulate. I gesticulate. Yeah. So there was this this worry on both sides that they would lose power. And Mm -hmm. so the famous one, of course, is the Missouri Compromise which was actually in 1820. I know we're jumping around a little bit. This was where they moved the Mason-Dixon line, Mm -hmm. which originally was the border at the southern border of Pennsylvania, and they moved it further south, and the idea was that if a state was above Mason-Dixon, it would come in as a free state, and if it came in below, it would come in as a slave state. That lasted all of five minutes. Uh 
but that was the idea. All right. The Compromise of 1850 happened around that time, too. It's a big part of that sort of slave power thing. That was the handling the issue of the balance of power. This is all they were worried about for so long, was the balance of power between slave states and free states. Uh, and so this compromise made the Fugitive State Slave Act more strenuous. Mm. So before, if a slave catcher went up north somewhere and caught somebody and tried to bring them back south, sometimes state laws would get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. But this superseded those those state laws and said that if, you know, the slave catchers basically could work with impunity, basically. Okay, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. and it's it was really gnarly because then some people who were, like, born free would be yeah. brought. So it was really awful. Yeah. Yeah, so it's around that time that he, he finds this, he, he kind of falls backwards into politics because... He, of course, had no intention of it, but he cared mm-hmm. about these things and so felt politics he had to do. So he became the leader of the conscience Whigs. Whigs believed in the rule of law over the rule of the people, which sounds yucky. <laughs> <laughs> but that's in a con- In this context, is it different? Well, that's the thing is, it's, is this was a reaction against Jackson, uh-huh. who was a populist of the... And I don't mean populist in a like, oh, populists are bad. It's in a like, Andrew Jackson was using pop- populism in a really gross way right. to hurt people. Mm-hmm. So they were against that. And conscience Whigs were also abolitionists, which I'm sure was a big part of his being involved with them. I didn't know that Jackson, did he explicitly say populist, like he was a populist? Was that a thing yet? <sighs> I don't, I'm not sure. I know that's what every history book calls him. That's so interesting. Like, that's like, you know, you read your U.S. history book. It says Andrew Jackson was a populist. I don't know that. I'd have to look it up. I don't know, to be honest. One day we'll come back to this. We'll, we'll, I'll, we'll, we'll Google it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fell down a rabbit hole today. A mini rabbit hole because it was very shallow of trying to find people on TikTok. If I was trying to find if there was anyone on TikTok who has... Try, like really attempted to explain populism and technically there is this one lady but it's really bad so the answer is no this this is a discussion that needs to be had <laughs> yeah well i mean it's been the boogeyman yeah forever yeah but people don't really we'll come back to this someday i don't mean to bring us too deep into the populist rabbit hole which is deep People don't know what populism is, and they use it as a stand-in for Trump scary bad and use populism as just a stand-in all the time for, like, right-wing craziness, which is, like, you know, not my thing. But I feel like people do just use the word populism when they just mean Trumpism. And oh, it's yes. te- that's not that's just technically that's not what that means. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> So bring us back to uh, Sumner here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I went too far. He went too uh, far. No, no, you're good. Uh, he uh, helped form the Free Soil Party, which is exactly what it says on the tin. They uh-huh. had one issue, which was no Western expansion of slavery. In 1840, nope, 1851, Democrats and, Free Soil Par- and the Free Soil Party in Massachusetts created a coalition to win the state le- oh my God, to win the state legislature. Mm-hmm. After a lot of political wrangling, and it ended up 
coming from a one-vote majority, if that sounds familiar to mm-hmm. anyone. Mm-hmm. Sumner was chosen as one of Massachusetts senators back when we didn't vote for senators. So right now, nowadays, we vote for senators. Yes. Back in those days, they were selected through a variety of different ways. It was left up to the states. Obviously, Massachusetts did it with their legislature. Um, <laughs> other places, it was just like the governor would pick it. You know, there was all huh. kinds of ways. But he becomes the senator from Massachusetts and goes to Washington, D.C., where he did not want to go. Mm. So that's 1851. 1854, we have the Kansas-Nebraska Act. It's another one of those on your flashcards for your U.S. history exam. Oh, yeah. I know I have a flashcard with that somewhere in my room, my childhood bedroom. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we have the new states of Kansas and Nebraska, and it was decided that they would determine whether they were free or slave by popular sovereignty. Okay. And this caused terrible things. What is popular sovereignty? They would vote on it. Okay. So it's like whatever the people said was what they would do. Okay. So the assumption was that Kansas would become a slave state, but with the idea that it was going to be a vote, both pro and anti-slavery settlers rushed to move to Kansas to impact the vote. Oh. And both sides used violence and intimidation, and it basically broke out into a fully-fledged civil war. Wow. This was really the civil war before the civil war. It was just in Kansas. Huh. And it was called Bleeding Kansas. That was the, the term that people used for it. And that speaks specifically of the violence leading up to the summer of 1856. May 21st, pro-slavery Democrats and Missourians invaded Lawrence, Kansas, burned the Free State Hotel, destroyed two anti-slavery newspaper offices, and ransacked homes and stores. They also stole a cannon used in the Mexican-American War called Old Kickapoo. I don't know why I thought that was important to include. Well, it's probably because it's very important to include. <laughs> like I said, I wrote these notes a long time ago, so no, I, no, 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 it's no. Like That's, a- <laughs> that that adds to the. Just imagine one of these asshole guys, asshole pro-slavery guys, being like, "Yeah, get old Kickapoo over here, and I'll show him." <laughs> so <laughs> that's re- just so silly. <laughs> in response to bleeding Kansas, Charles Sumner took the floor of the Senate and specifically called out South Carolina Senator Andrew Butler and Illinois Senator Stephen A. Douglas. So this is something that we see still today, is a lot of times you have people go up there and they just talk to go into the congressional record. And he he gave this really stirring speech, which I forced myself to read because I read it was so stirring. And it's actually a little rough to read because at the time they assumed that people knew all this stuff about like Greek mythology and stuff and interesting they just thought that was a normal thing to compare things to huh so reading it was a little weird but (laughs) I pulled out the important quote this one's a little long so bear with me the senator from South Carolina has read many books of chivalry and believes himself a chivalrous knight with sentiments of honor and courage Of course, he has chosen a mistress to whom he has made his vows, and who, though ugly to others, is always lovely to him. Though polluted in the sight of the world, is chaste in his sight. I mean the harlot slavery. For her, his tongue is always profuse in words. Let her be impeached in character, or any proposition made to shut her out from the extension of her wantonness. And no extravagance or manner or hearty heart hearted hardihood hardihood there we go (laughs) Uh, 
of assertion is then too great for this senator. The frenzy of Don Quixote on behalf of his wench Dulcinea del Toboso, my apologies, is all surpassed. Wow. Senators today would never, you know, they would never, or would would they feel like they wouldn't like invoke Don Quixote? Well, certainly not. But I feel like this is the equivalent of like the snarky TikTok video that we'll get from like AOC. (laughs) (laughs) So in case it's unclear from that dense quote, uh, he is calling Senator Andrew Butler out hard. Mm -hmm. And you know, obviously using all these like really misogynistic imagery, but it was um, that would have had, that would have gotten some response. Yeah, yeah, and it did. Two days later, Representative Preston Brooks, who is a Democrat from South Carolina, a note: the Democrats at the time were tended to be pro slavery, mm-hmm. and the Republicans tended to be anti slavery. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was a Whig; it's complicated. Democrats, though tended to be pro-slavery. So Representative Preston Brooks, Democrat from South Carolina, was a relative of Senator Butler, and he was very upset with what Sumner had said. And Mm. he wanted to challenge Sumner to a duel because that's a thing people did. But uh, Representative Lawrence Kate, I think is how you pronounce his name, K-E-I-T-T, in South Carolina, said duels were for gentlemen and Sumner was not a gentleman. (gasps) I know, right? Fighting words. Yeah. So Representative Brooks, Representative Henry A. Edmondson from Virginia, and Representative Lawrence Kate entered the Senate chamber and waited for any women in there to leave. Oh my goodness. Step to I was Sumner. about to say I was about to say the girls are fighting. Like <laughs> by which I mean the men, of course. Yeah, so I, I actually wrote Stepped to Sumner, which I must have been very loopy by the time I wrote this. <laughs> no, I love it. They, uh, he was stepping up. He was he was ready to go. He was removing yeah. his earrings. He is, oh, yeah, absolutely. He is, yeah. And right. he, he called the speech, uh, Sumner's speech, libel, <laughs> and assaulted him with a gold-headed cane. So and this is one of those things. So this is the thing that, my how I came to this was my brain was like, what was the name of that guy who got beat on the floor of the Senate? <laughs> and it's a story we tell a lot. You've gone to any Civil War museum. This comes up because it's important. Mm. But we don't tend to. I, I hadn't realized how violent it was. Mm. I mean, I knew it was violent. But reading about it was honestly a little shocking to me. Mm-hmm. So Sumner got trapped under his desk. Oh, my God. Which was bolted to the floor. So he couldn't defend himself. Uh, And he was blinded by his blood. um, And Brooks did not stop until the cane snapped. Whoa. And he picked up the gold head and continued to attack. So this is this is no longer a duel. This is just a... It was never a duel because Sumner's not a gentleman. Okay, so he's not a gentleman, so he can't duel. So they're beating the snot out of him. So they're beating the... Wow. And, like, I knew knew it was bad, but... You know, you see, you see the like line drawings from like Harper's Weekly or whatever, yeah. and like Sumner like has his arm up and he's like, "Oh no!" Yeah. So that was the image in my brain. But like reading about like he got trapped under the desk, bolted to the ground, the cane broke, and they kept hitting him wow. with the cane. Like, oh my word! So just to get a sense, is this one guy fighting him, or is this like a number of are there are there people like ganging up on him? People are ganging up on him. So that's so scary. One, two, three people. Wow. 
Yeah. This is real, real January 6th stuff. Yeah. So they're going for it. Um, the other senators in the room tried to help Sumner, but because it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But Kate has had a pistol. This is one of the three people who were part of the attack. And he said, let them alone. God damn you, let them alone. Because apparently it's important to beat someone nearly to death. Don't this know. this Mr. Kate, you know, he's not a gentleman enough to duel, he says, of Sumner. But he can get the shit beat out of him. I, I don't think I'm a fan of Mr. Kate. I don't sure. get it. I don't understand. Yeah, it's, yeah. So in the end... <laughs> Representatives from New York were able to stop Brooks. So in case you were curious who came to Sumner's rescue, Mm. Ambrose S. Murray and Edwin B. Morgan. All right. Sumner was able to walk with help to the cloakroom where he received first aid. And then he took a carriage to his lodgings in D.C. where he received further medical treatment. Mm. Brooks also received treatment for hitting himself above uh, his right hand with one of the uh, back swings. Wow. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't know if it's right hand. I took a guess. This is right away. Oh. So he hit himself. All right. He deserves it. Yeah. So Edmondson gathered the pieces of the blood-soaked cane. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Gave the gold head to Adam John Glossbrenner, who is the house sergeant at arms. And the gold-headed eagle ended up in the Old State House Museum in Boston. So you can go visit it. Did they did they wash it? I presumably. Oh. However, <laughs> the rest of the cane, the wood was fashioned into rings uh, that other pro-slavery lawmakers would <gasps> wear to show solidarity with Brooks. What? They were referred to by Brooks as sacred relics. <gasps> okay. Wild. I know. That's wild. I did not ha- that's just okay. That's craziness. Yeah. What? Yeah. It, it, it is a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. And this is something I always brought up before when people would say, oh, it's, you know, we're experiencing this historic division. And, it, you know, we are in a historic time. However, we've ne- we, we have been here before. Absolutely. Now, granted, this was one chapter in the lead up to Civil War, not to scare anybody. Um, you know? But nonetheless, and this is not the only instance of people getting attacked on the floor of the Congress, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. There's a bullet hole in there that I can't remember how it came, but anytime you go there as a tour guide, the the guards are really excited to show you the bullet hole. My goodness. Yeah, I know there have been other outbursts of violence. Yes. Right, like... I was actually... This is really bad when I heard that the representative from Alabama went for Matt Gates and then I saw the video I was a little disappointed at how like chill it was <laughs> a, a true American government historian that you are like this is that is so tame I mean it's so tame it's true like I, also because I knew we were going to be recording this soon yeah and so I had this on my brain and so I was like oh my god yeah like somebody got like Somebody hit Matt Gates, and no. then I saw, and it was like he walked in Matt Gates. No, he direction. barely, he barely, yeah, no, he like walked there very strongly, almost lunges, and then they like, yeah. If you haven't seen it, they like they t- it's actually a little bit. It's actually very funny. No, it's extremely funny because the guy behind him it's is funny like because nobody got hurt. It's funny because nobody got hurt for sure, but also because like the guy behind him was like. 
you know, holding him back and then just like smushes his hand into his face. Yep. Why? Why? But also, yeah, no, I heard that was it. Somebody was like, someone beat up Matt Gates. And then I looked at the video and I was like, damn it, nobody beat up Matt Gates. But like, <laughs> he so deserves to get punched. I hope that's not like cited as like threatening the American government or something. But Matt Gates is a big liar. Yeah, Matt so. Gates is the oh, actual what? worst the besides worst. these guys who wore rings from the wood fashioned hey from the cane that was used to nearly kill us i am sure if matt floor. gates i am positive if matt gates lived back then he would be the first in line for one of those like, rings. i want one of those sacred relics yeah he would want the bloodiest one he'd be like don't even yeah it would be bad it'd be bad if you if you are listening and you don't know enough about matt gates i highly recommend the fundy fridays video yes. about matt gates it's so good we we stand fundy fridays we stand fundy fridays we we love you guys. You are our inspiration. Uh, I was gonna say, no, it's probably not good. It's probably a little bit like parasocial to be like, you are our podcast parents. <laughs> but I do really love them. I've been trying to get their attention so much. They commented on one of my videos one time. Ooh, yeah, yeah, they're cool. <laughs> they're cool. <laughs> um, I have I have purchased merchandise from them, which says a lot. Yeah, because it takes me a while to do that. We love funny guys. <laughs> Yeah. So unsurprisingly, the press interpreted this event based on their political leanings. So Mm -hmm. Northern papers accused the South of being unwilling to tolerate free speech, which I feel like is the understatement of the century. (laughs) Yes. And Southern papers suggested that Sumner was faking his injuries. How? Did they even have like fake blood back then? I'm sure they did. I I have no idea. (laughs) But either way, that's super gross yeah representative anson this guy's name anson burlingame burlingam Mm -hmm. i don't know he's also from massachusetts he challenged brooks to a duel using rifles on the canada side of niagara falls but brooks refused because he didn't want to expose himself to the risk of violence while traveling through the northern states which that one felt very like well you had no problem with violence when you were holding the cane seriously retweet yeah. <laughs> um, Brooks gave a speech in the House defending his actions, saying he would have used a different weapon if he had intended to kill Sumner. Wow. He was arrested, tried, and convicted oh. um, of assault oh. in, the, in Washington, D.C. court, and he was fined $300, which, but served no jail time, and $300 now. I, I hate these, like... In today's dollars, yeah. because the fact of the matter is it's really hard to make that calculation because yeah. they also didn't have the things that we have today. Like, it's just commodities work differently. Sorry, this Val- is a soapbox. No, but it's if true. You, if you type it into the dollars today website, uh, $300 in the 1850s comes out to $10,000 today. Yeah. So, but it's like, yeah, keeping in mind exactly like what you said, like wealth probably was just working totally differently and like personal holdings and stuff. Yeah. Things really worked very differently then. Kate, remember him, was uh, censured by the House and then resigned in protest. But his constituents Uh sent him back to the seat less than a month later. Wow. Yeah. And Edmondson was censured, was, I'm sorry, Eminem, Edmondson was not censured okay so a, a wide variety of reaction mm-hmm. to those three uh three folks yeah sumner meanwhile 
experience head trauma. Not surprising. Yeah. And not that head trauma is ever like a fun time, Mm -hmm. but keep in mind this is a very different time medically. We we did have, I want to say painkillers, that's not right. Um, we did have ways of like putting people down for, for and, and anesthesia. There we go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's a another soapbox I'm on. We had anesthesia during the American Civil War. It just had a tendency to <sighs> explode. I mean, so, <laughs> not all of it. We, we had ether, which had a tendency to explode, and chloroform. Oh, that said, obviously we didn't have it. He was he was he was probably dealing with his head trauma the hard way, mm-hmm. and he also was having nightmares and severe headaches. We now understand that he was ex- probably experiencing PTSD. Yeah, it took him many many months to heal, and his political enemies ridiculed him for how long it took for him to heal. Wow! Uh, fast forward to today, blaming John Fetterman for having a stroke. Yeah. And how that hurt his numbers so bad. Thank goodness. Hashtag ableism. Hashtag don't do it. Sorry. That was so awful. That's the worst. (laughs) That's the worst bit I've ever said against ableism. I I feel like I just made ableism worse in the world. When I was a uh, (laughs) tour director in Washington, D.C., I had a coworker (laughs) who's a delight. If she happens to listen to this, I love you. You're great. <laughs> but for a while, she would say, hashtag, hashtag. And I was like, I can't. <laughs> I've definitely, I've definitely pushed more people towards being more ableist just now. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. I, I'm sorry. I will um, come and have a very stern talking to you if you do. Um, I, I don't want to ever do that. So uh, <laughs> he, he's doing, doing badly. Yeah. But he was still reelected. November 1856. Okay. Elected as kind of the, the General Assembly sent him right. again as senator, despite his chair being left vacant because they wanted to send a symbol about free speech. Hey. So they were saying, like, listen, he's going to take the time he needs, but we aren't putting somebody else in that chair until he's he's there. All right. So the, uh, let's see, he tried to return in 1857, but he didn't make it through the day. So the doctors told him to go on a sea voyage. Uh, he went to Europe, which helped a lot. But every time he tried to return, he couldn't get through the day. So oh. this is one of those things that, like, now we look back and go, that was PTSD. Yeah. That was severe trauma. Yeah. But we didn't have as many words for that sort of thing. Yeah. At the time. He was able to return, though, finally, for real, in 1859. And when it was suggested he take a less strident tone, he said, when crime and criminals are thrust before us, they are to be met by all the energies that God has given us by argument, scorn, sarcasm, and denunciation. Nice. So he would have had, I think, a very successful Twitter feed. I think so, too. And as an orator. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, He would have been a streamer. He would have absolutely been a streamer. I hate how much I have to, like, I have to tie everything into like the internet, <laughs> but it's true. The it's internet true. is part we, of the culture. It's a part of the culture. It's a part. I I hate, I hate it, in a lot of ways. And yet also, my life depends on it currently. <laughs> but anyway, he would have been a streamer, and I feel like he he would have done a good job. Yeah, yeah. He from what I know been, about him, he right now, he would have been uploading the funny videos on TikTok from the floor of the Senate. Oh, for sure, uh, <laughs> for sure. So he continued to speak specifically and strongly against slavery. 
During the war, he was a member of the Radical Republican faction mm. who advocated for immediate abolition of slavery and destruction of the Southern planter class. And so, like, his arguments, it sounds like the type of guy he is, he's arguing on about it on, like, a this is just morally wrong kind of basis. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, he was. He also talked about slave power and that aspect of it, mm-hmm. but he definitely was unique in that he saw a moral mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. with slavery. Was he... He wasn't a Quaker, was he? Do we know? I would assume not because he, he was from Boston. Uh-huh. So my guess would be he'd be like some sort of like congregationalist or something like that. But that is entirely based on like religious patterns in cities. Right. I, I don't know that for yeah. sure. Hi. Hello. This is Future Fega. He was actually Episcopalian. So uh, after the election of Abraham Lincoln and so forth, the Southern senators withdrew from the Senate. Mm-hmm. So that meant that a lot of there were a lot of open seats on committees. We've been hearing a lot about committees in the news because that was a big part of the negotiation yes. um, for the Speaker of the House. Yes. Committees are incredibly powerful. And so the Southern senators, when they left, all these committees had to be filled with Republicans, many of whom were like him, radical Republicans. And he became the chair of the Committee of Foreign Relations um, in March 1861. And this is so cool. So he gets there and he pushes through the diplomatic recognition of Haiti. Haiti is an amazing story. It was this incredibly successful slave revolt. So they kicked the French out. it's so cool. And they had been seeking recognition from the United States since 1804. Uh-huh. Um, but the Southern senators had blocked it because, you know, they were afraid of Haiti being an inspiration uh-huh. to all the enslaved people uh-huh. in the South. And so it's like one of his very first things he did is he pulled out this request from 1804, minus 1861. Oh, wow. And pushed through that recognition. So that was how we ended up recognizing Haiti as a country is in the United States. Wow. So I think that is really neat. That is pretty neat. But he also pushed Abraham Lincoln to make slavery the primary objective of the Civil War. Wow. He also pushed for the enlistment of black soldiers in the Union Army uh-huh. and was part of the establishment of the Freedmen's Bureau. All right. And he didn't, he didn't go as far as some radical Republicans who mm-hmm. called for the complete restructuring of the South, forcing them to, like, re-petition for statehood and things like that. Mm. But he still supported equal, equal rights for newly freed black citizens. So, like, suffrage, free homesteads, free public schools, that kind of thing. All right. And he was gladly voted to convict Andrew Johnson, being quoted as saying, guilty of all and infinitely more. Nice. So... When I say convict Andrew Johnson, so this was after Lincoln was assassinated, Johnson became president, and he did a lot um, to undo the work of Reconstruction Mm. after the war Mm -hmm. and was impeached, and Sumner felt he was guilty. Yes. (laughs) Um, He also pushed to remove the word white from naturalization laws. Interesting. So what would have been the... That so basically in saying that like you know anybody should be able to naturalize, I I believe that's what that means. Got it. However, everyone has their blind spots. Uh huh. He also supported the annexation of Alaska. Okay. Uh, which did not provide protections to the indigenous people there. Oy. And he said some really gnarly things. Oh. About indigenous people, like he. 
it's really gross. Darn it, Charles. I know. It's so disappointing. Gosh. Disappointing. He, he, it seemed like he got a little like, like he had blinders on. It's like, he, weird. Weird. So like he was doing all these amazing things. Like in 1875, he co-authored the Civil Rights Act mm-hmm. with John Mercer Langston, who later became the first representative of color from Virginia. Mm. Mm. And he thought equal rights would benefit everyone in the South, not just formerly enslaved people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he was against the hanging and imprisonment of Southern leaders. All right. So, I, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where it's like he, in so many ways, he was great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then he turns around and just dehumanizes an entire group of people yeah it's not great it's pretty amazing once it comes to native people a lot of folks just kind of forget what like they just their 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 activism stops there yes for a moment and that that's one i feel like that's that's just that happens a lot especially so it's like it's, it's like if you are i mean charles sumner strikes me as a type of person who i could be wrong but is like probably pretty proud to be an American. I would think um, so. And is I don't mean to pass too much judgment on end people that were senators at the time, especially like, you know, the the senators who were the first black senators at, you know, that were like straight after the Civil War. But also it's like if you are a senator at that moment, you are recognizing very actively that you are becoming a part of a government that is very actively stealing land and yes even though he which is interesting i'd love to i'm fascinated by like why what made alaska different for him like he he didn't want to cap he didn't he didn't want the mexican-american war yeah so well he didn't want the mexican-american war because he didn't want there to be another slave state but Alaska wasn't at risk for being a slave state. So yes. it was okay. And so yeah. I, I didn't write this in my notes. Um, so I, I don't have specific quotes. Mm-hmm. But when you read things that he wrote about not just Alaska, but the uh, incorporation of states in the West, mm. he felt that um, that the indigenous people needed civilizing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He thought, so He when he looked at formerly enslaved people and free blacks in the United States, he saw them as being deeply influenced by white Christian culture. Okay. And that was part of his um, activism was clearly these people are worthy of, of this equal treatment. And in his mind, indigenous people were not because they came from a very different cultural background. Uh-huh. So, and it's, this is, this is, oh, this is always the thing when you talk about these people. This is always the struggle when we talk about history because it's not, I, I, I don't like to be one of those people that says, oh, well, it was the time. Yeah. Because, frankly, there were always people in the time <laughs> who knew what was morally right. Yeah. Also, there's been a lot of conversation around the internet lately about how the the culture you grow up in has such a deep impact on how you view the world. Sure. And that is not insurmountable. 
by any stretch of the imagination. We have seen mm-hmm. people do amazing work to undo harmful, you know, thought and speech and so forth. Oh, definitely. And Sumner was ahead of a lot of his compatriots. For sure. And so there was nobody who he would have respected to say to him, hey, man, (laughs) what you said about indigenous people is super gross. Yeah. And it's just, you know, we can hold both those realities at the same time, right? Like we can understand that Sumner did amazing work for bringing some level of racial equality to the United States beyond at least when, when he started. Yeah. And that, you know, acknowledging Haiti was a great thing to do and all those things. And also recognize that he was part of a very harmful genocidal campaign against the indigenous people of North America. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And those can be true at the same time. And one doesn't make the other one not true. Yeah. And this is why also it's important to see these people as people. Yeah. Because when you try to put people into categories of good and bad you are always going to miss something on the other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's much more interesting to look at them as entire humans. Yes. That are incredibly imperfect. And this guy, he also, that's one thing I also want to, what I was just thinking about when you were just talking about all this stuff, is like, it sounds like he grew, he grew up in like, his dad was an acad- academic, yes. right? So he's, this guy really sounds like an academic I don't want to say first because I don't know. Too, I, I, mean, I still his, don't know his too much about him. His first passion was jurisprudence. Is, yeah, you know so. what? No. Okay. So this, I'd say he had a very. It feels like he has a very academic way of approaching these things. Like that whole speech he gave with like about with the Greek mythology and oh, wait, stuff like about that. Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Like all this stuff, and then he's definitely like thinking about people in abstractions. Yes. Like he's thinking about like these enslaved folks as an abstract force that's like and he can recognize that it's wrong but it's interesting that it only goes up to the level as it's of him thinking it's wrong because also they know enough now to participate in western civilized society which i still am like you know a fan of <laughs> um, that you know um yeah. so it's it's interesting like and then at the same time like he sees he definitely still sees these enslaved people as abstractions and of course sees the indigenous people as abstractions also and that moving westward as an abstraction as well and like that's the thing about i just feel like that's like an interesting thing about like academics and the limit of what you can do to change the world around you as an academic when you're not in touch with like when you're not working with people on the ground when you're not in community in right. that way and this is you know the criticism of the ivory tower and all this stuff that we hear all the time and i think this is also important to keep in mind because i think people who don't mean to do this too like i have oh, seen yeah. a lot of people who i generally agree with on the internet or in real life or whatever where generally philosophically we're in the same place but I can tell that they're seeing like you said seeing people as in an academic sense and until you actually get on the ground and talk to people and interact with people and they become actual people then we're always going to fall short like Sumner did absolutely 
Yeah. So to close out, Sumner did not live to see the Civil Rights Act passed. And it was also, but it, it did pass. And it was the yay. last, yay. <laughs> it was the last civil rights legislation for 82 years until the Oof. Civil Rights Act of 1957. Oof. We're going to talk in a couple episodes about Reconstruction. And Aww. there, there's a lot, there's a lot of there there. Um, <laughs> Lots to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's Charles Sumner. What so a guy. The, the guy who for an embarrassing long time in my tour guiding experience was that guy who got beat up on the floor of the Senate. Yeah. Uh, has a name and a whole career. Yeah. Who knew? I mean, seriously, you know, he's an academic. He has his shortcomings. In the long run, what he did also pretty wild oh, like and for his Im- time like what he was doing that's also like for an academic he also doesn't sound like in, ter- in terms of like just arguing or at least of being an orator he's not afraid to get dirty oh no yeah he was uh, in it he was like no this is what i what i believe in and there's there's definitely something to be commended about that yeah and he what he did was really really important yeah and you know history doesn't hinge on one person usually but he was definitely a part of a group of people who was working really hard to try to bring racial equality to the United States. Yeah. We obviously can look at the shortcomings of that. But uh, somebody in Congress needed to be saying it. So someone and, had to be saying it. <laughs> and he did. Yep. So uh, good on you for that. Yeah. Um, Maybe do some work on some other things. Charles yeah, you Summer. know, yeah, you know, Charles Sumner, we're we're calling you in. We're yeah, we're calling Charles Sumner in. <laughs> we're ta- let's have a talk. But uh, no, it's it's cool, man. It's okay. Uh, well, thank you, and I'm gonna turn this. Thank off. you. What an interesting guy. Thank you so much for listening to D-Listers of History. If you enjoyed yourself, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform you listen on. A huge thank you to April Keys for the use of the song Misfit from her album Mountain View. You can find her on all the various social media platforms. You can find us on social media as well on Instagram, Facebook, and sometimes TikTok at D-Listers of History. No hyphens. A big shout out to the folks supporting us on Patreon. If you want to support us and get access to all sorts of exclusive content, become a patron of this program. All of this and more can be found on our website, delistersofhistory.com. Again, no hyphens, just smush that together. Our next episode is going to be coming out on President's Day, February 20th. Our episodes release on the first and third Mondays of each month. And now for an episode-relevant audio drop. He says, oh, Andrew Butler, South Carolina, who's normally sits next to me, but uh uh-oh, you had a stroke. You are not here. Guess what? You are a f***ing pimp for the prostitute of slavery.